Hello and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saade. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. This is our second episode and we're here to bring you your weekly dose of community news and an in-depth discussion of Twin Cities social justice movements and organizing efforts, as well as pertinent policy-making efforts. Today, we're keeping it simple, talking about the end of the legislative session, what got done and what remains, self-care during social justice work, and updates from organizing campaigns and social justice-oriented organizations from across the Twin Cities and beyond. Thanks to our sponsor, The Uptake, where I serve as executive director. The Uptake is a local community news and media literacy organization. Find out more at theuptake.org. And thanks to Manny Mestas, a former student of mine, for gifting that last song to us, a little mood music for the episode. That's uh, called Garden Street, and I'm just so grateful for Manny for that wonderful opening music. Uh, Finally, thanks to WFNU for supporting this news show. I'm grateful for the space, the partnership, and the opportunity to stretch my work. Just a reminder that if you're not already supporting your local media organizations, spaces like WFNU and The Uptake, they can use a few dollars. And just to note, this is a pre-recorded episode. You can listen to our first episode of the Radical News Radio Hour at WFNU and find out more about this show and my work at journalismofcolor.com. We're going to start off today's show with our legislative wrap-up. This year's legislative session opened in mid-February with a surplus and a state budget, which was supposed to leave plenty of time for discussions on bonding or infrastructure and other policymaking. By mid-March, though, the Minnesota State Legislature was forced, to break in, uh, was forced to break in order to move its operations online and to make adjustments to House and Senate floor operations. It meant that many committee meetings went digital, and the Capitol Rotunda and hallways, typically overfilled with ralliers and issue advocates in the last few weeks of session, were empty or nearly so. And it also meant, because of COVID-19 and the resulting economic breakdown, that the Minnesota State Legislature was working with a $2.4 billion deficit rather than a nearly $2 billion surplus. It also meant that as the last hours of session rolled on and the legislature was forced to adjourn sine die, that uh, there was much more work left to be done. Uh, Legislators are currently in talks with Governor Walls about a mid-June special session, um, but there's nothing confirmed yet. Senate Republicans have proposed June 12th as a potential special session day, I believe. Um, And in that day, they would take care of the bonding bill as well as a few other outstanding items that require um, that they're able to negotiate on. Um, Here's a breakdown, though, of what has happened, what has not happened, and what we might be able to what we might expect to see moving forward. Um, the legislature and Governor Walls were unable to come to an agreement on a bonding package. Um, this is going to be a key discussion going into a potential special session. Senate Republicans have proposed a one, a nearly $1 billion package. Um, House Democrats and the governor have proposed packages that are a little bit over $2 billion or around $2 billion, and they just haven't been able to pass that. In fact, a bonding bill that was introduced Um, On the Senate floor, actually, um, a $998 million bonding package failed to pass off the Senate floor, I believe, on the last day of session. Discussion has also occurred on a jobs and local projects plan in the House, but failed to pass. The bill, which 
would have provided support for institutions like in St. Paul, like the Eastside Freedom Library, the Minnesota Humanities Center, and the Como Zoo, amongst other institutions and projects. Uh, the Minnesota House did pass the Crown Act, which was introduced by Representative Rena Moran, a DFLer who represents 65A here in St. Paul. Crown, which stands for Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair, failed to pass in the Senate. The legislation would have, um, um, would have basically amended Minnesota's Human Rights Act to include a ban on hair discrimination. There's actually a story at the uptake that you can go check out. Our writer Darlene did a wonderful job looking at the history of hair discrimination and natural hair as it pertains to black women. And I think it would just be, it's a great story and I highly recommend that you all go check it out. Um, the Minnesota House has also passed legislation that would require a backlog of untested rape kids be tested within 60 days of a potential bill becoming law. So untested rape kids can often just sit on the shelves and can just don't get tested, which means potential rapists are often just walking free. Um, similar legislation was never introduced in the Senate, however. The same legislation, um, House File 3156, which was authored by Representative Carlos Mariani, included funding for Minnesota state prisons and new requirements to repeal what Mariani called dub double bunking in prisons, as well as quote-unquote expanded public access to correctional facility data. Um, so, yeah, that's another bill that just hasn't gone anywhere and will likely not come up in a special session. In North Minneapolis, um, State Senator Bobby Joe Champion and House Representative Fu Lee introduced legislation that would financially support projects like the Baldwin Square, a project of Jamil Ford um, that would likely include a restaurant, retail, office, and community space um, uh, in the Fremont, I think Fremont and 44th. Um, it's a great neighborhood. There's a wonderful donut place, by the way, if you've ever been in that part of town. Um, the Senate bill did not move forward and the House bill did not make it to a floor discussion. So that's another bill that we, we likely won't see come up in a special session. Um, there's also, there's just a lot of work to be done in this year's legislative session or still to be done. And it remains to be seen what will get done in a potential special session and how the state's new deficit and the economic fallout of COVID-19 will impact what does get done. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM and I'm your host Serene Saad. This is our second episode and we've been discussing the end of the 2020 Minnesota State Legislature and a potential special session expected to occur in mid-June. Many of the issues we discuss in this program are community-driven, though some, like legislative politics, are less organic, uh, for lack of a better word. All of this work, however, can take a physical and mental toll on organizers and other social justice leaders. That's why it's so important to me that this show regularly talks about the intersections of health and justice and how we stay healthy when we're doing justice work. Last week, we had Dr. Amy Marshall on to talk about the mental health um, impacts of trauma and organizing on the work that we do and how we stay healthy. Today, we have Latasha Lee, a Twin Cities nurse, um, who's the co-founder of Black Nurses Rock and the founder of Healthy Helpful Insight. Latasha is here to talk to us about her tips and recommendations for staying healthy while social distancing. Here's a pre-recorded interview from earlier this week. Latasha begins by just talking about the basics of what a healthy lifestyle looks like. 
Yep. So I would encourage really good sleep hygiene. That means getting adequate sleep, not abusing the body. Um, I would encourage drinking lots of water. Um, taking a daily multivitamin is also good, as well as vitamin C burst, and you can get that through um, various fruits. You can get that through orange juice. Um, we also recommend some meditation that's just good for the mental health piece. Um, it kind of helps to channel out stress. We also encourage um, deep breathing exercises a couple times throughout the day. Um, let's see what else. Um, exercise is great. Exercise, getting outside, getting fresh air. Um, these are There's just a multitude of things that are really important. I'm trying to make sure I'm not forgetting any. Breathing, meditation, exercise, good food selections, good sleep hygiene, water, prayer, if you believe in prayer, is also good. And just really good self-care, taking care of yourself, listening to your body. If you feel like you're having mental health issues or you're having anxiety or if you're overwhelmed, talk to somebody. Get help. There's therapists. There's telehealth. There's all kinds of resources available. Latasha also discusses the connections between health and justice and anxiety and the idea that historically under-resourced communities are not just uh, marginalized and more impacted by COVID-19 because of um, the health disparities that already exist. Uh, for example, diabetes is very high in communities like like our like black communities. And so there, um, and diabetes is a a, it, it causes different impacts in the ways in which COVID-19 um, impacts individuals. And so it can lead to higher health disparities in the ways in which COVID-19 is impacting specific communities. So Latasha, who's based out of the North side, speaks for a few um, minutes here about what does it look like in North Minneapolis, which is a community similar to where we are in Frogtown about the impacts of health, health disparities on the community and the ways in which people are organizing around those health disparities. In reference to the injustices, we've known for a long time that there's health disparities in the African-American community when we compare it to other communities. So that's still a really big thing that hasn't changed. And then as far as um, what's happening right now, it's the the ability to gain adequate resources to protect themselves, um, and then also the ability to understand the reason why we need to do what we need to do, and just knowing that it's a protective mechanism to protect us as a people. Um, I think there are limited resources over on the north side of Minneapolis, which is why um, there's been like mass donations every Saturday, and that's been um, driven through the Racial Justice Committee. And they've been over at Cove Foods, so I feel really good about that. I know for the last two weeks they've given out 400 masks, and the two weeks before that I think it was 300 and maybe 350. And I believe that they're set to be out there again this Saturday. So I do believe that um, while the resources are not great because of the financial and the socioeconomic economic issues that we kind of deal with over here, I do feel that um, there are prominent leaders in the community that are reaching out and advocating to ensure that we do have more resources than what people have on their own, if that makes sense. Like um, the attorney, Nakima Levy Pounds, has been guiding that, and it's been very successful with the mask and also hand sanitizer. 
And just for fun, Latasha shares a couple of meals that people who are remaining socially distant and are still trying to minimize grocery runs can make fairly simply at home and have throughout the week or just use ingredients that they might already have on hand. Especially during times with COVID, where people are in the home and they're spending a lot more time sitting. Um, smoothies with, um, like today, for instance, I made a smoothie, raspberries, blueberries, bananas, pineapples, spinach. Um, the yogurt was the protein, granola crumbs, and you can use like an almond milk. Um, just like various various types of chicken breast, um, chicken breast, salmon, um, any kind of fish is really good right now because you can make a little bit and have some for the next day. Chicken breasts are really good in that same respect. Um, some people are doing like the lettuce wrap instead of like having tacos because it's more healthy. There's not that bread component. Um, I've also been eating a lot of the plant-based burger patties, and those are really good, too. You know, making like four or five and having some for dinner, some for lunch the next day. They seem to um, do good as a leftover. They taste the same. They're very good, nutrient-rich. They don't have a lot of fat and junk in them. I want to thank Latasha Lee for joining us on air today. Latasha is, as I said at the beginning of that segment, a pediatric nurse. Uh, she's the co-founder of Black Nurses Rock, and she is uh, the founder of an organization called Healthy Helpful Insight, um, which just for transparency's sake, I had helped done, uh, I have done some design work on uh, for Latasha, and I've also interviewed her for other stories. So just transparency, it's a small organizing and social justice world. And there's even uh, fewer reporters within that world. So we tend to know a lot of people and operate in a lot of spaces. The reason that I wanted to have Latasha on this week and Dr. Marshall on last week is because it is absolutely crucial that we have a serious discussion about what health looks like in our communities and what what is the justice issues that are pertinent to health. For example, as Latasha said in, in her interview, there are health issues that are more prevalent in black and African-American communities, things like diabetes and heart disease. And those are precursors for a worse experience with COVID-19, and they are things to be concerned about. So those systems of oppression that we're talking about in our organizing, when we're talking about food justice or transit or housing, are just as prevalent when we're talking about something like a global pandemic. And so it's really important to both know what are these issues and how do we stay healthy and what are people doing about this in our communities so latasha is in the north side and i know her from that work in the north side but it's crucial that we have a serious discussion in our communities about what it means to be a healthy person and how do we be healthy when we're operating within a system of oppression that's goal is that our communities and our ourselves mentally and physically one of its goals is that we we are not healthy so again, thank you to Latasha for uh, joining us on air today um, in that pre-recorded segment. And, and the whole episode is pre-recorded, but that was a separate pre-record. Um, we're going to take another quick musical break. Um, another song from Manny Mesta is called Movido, um, one of his guitar solos.
For those of you just joining in, this is WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM, and this is your host, Serene Saade. That last tune was Movido by Manny Mastas. Thank you to Manny for gifting us his music. There's big updates this week from Minnesota organizing campaigns and social justice movements. Biggest news of all, is for the last 18 months, residents of five buildings in the Corcoran neighborhood in Minneapolis have been organizing to buy their buildings from their disgraced landlord, Stephen Friends. The city of Minneapolis had revoked Friends' license, uh, rental license in 2017 and banned him from renting property for the next five years. Land Bank Twin Cities has purchased all five buildings and um, have signed a purchase agreement uh, to sell the buildings to the residents at the end of two years. A press advisory from the organizing group Tenants United for Justice reads, For over a year and a half, 38 families living in five buildings owned by Stephen Friends on the 3100 block of 22nd Avenue South have been meeting and running their buildings cooperatively. In addition, residents worked to secure $7 million in financing and organized to protect their homes from eviction. 
Friends pursued evicting all the residents of the five buildings for over a year, including taking one resident to a jury trial that took place on the week of March 2, 2020. We're going to continue following the work of this organization, but that's a big win for the residents and for the Twin Cities social justice organizing world. There's also an update from SEIU uh, Local 26, who have been purchasing personal protective equipment like masks and gloves and hand sanitizer. Um, and they're going to be giving um, away that PPE to members who are working on the front lines of COVID-19. So medical professionals, grocery workers, janitors, um, individuals who are really holding the line right now um, to keep us healthy, keep us safe, keep us going. Um, they're going to be giving away this equipment for those of you who are SEIU, SEIU Local 26 members um, daily from 12 to 3 until this Saturday, um, I believe the 23rd. And they're going to be doing a virtual candlelight vigil from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Friday night um, at their offices in Minneapolis, which are 826 Northeast um, 18th Avenue, um, zip code 55413. Um, so that's really cool on behalf of SEIU Local 26 to be giving out that equipment. That's another one of those things that Latasha talked about in North Minneapolis, that um, organizations have been giving out personal protective equipment in the parking lot of the Cub Foods on West Broadway, um, that 400 have been given out the last couple of weeks and 300 or 350 were given out in the weeks before that. That's a really powerful way to hold, um, hold each other in solidarity and to protect each other. And the virtual late night um, candlelight vigil is actually in honor of a death of a member of theirs, um, Armando Solas, who was a father and a union leader, um, who was the first um, COVID, uh, the first of SEIU Local 26's members who died from this, which is um, just incredibly sad. And, and, and also, I think, a wake up call for all of us that the work that COVID-19, again, is a, is a justice issue. And it's not the only thing we're going to talk about on this show, but it is an absolutely crucial thing for us to talk about, um, especially when it has become part of the organizing landscape in the way that we talked about it um, last week. So um, uh, Elia Starkweather, who is a janitor and vice president of the union, actually said this in the press release. Um, this is a scary time for all of us. Everyone wants to be able to go home safely to our families after work, but I've heard many members of our union who just don't have the masks or gloves they need to be safe at work. Many people are so scared. We can't do our work from home, so we have to go out, even when many people are staying home to keep their families healthy. I'm proud of our union. Um, a prouder union is stepping up this way and helping to make sure workers on the front lines are able to have basic protections to keep, uh, keep themselves safe. So that's an update from SEIU Local 26. If your organizing movement or social justice organization has any big updates, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or via my website, journalismofcolor.com, uh, excuse me, to, to let me know um, what's going on. I would love to highlight what is happening in our community, and I would love to highlight the work that our organizers and community leaders are doing around issues like transit equity and food justice and uh, uh, housing justice and, and legislative politics and city organizing. You can reach out to me. Um, we can talk on air. We can highlight what you're doing. Uh, this show is, is our show. It's, our, it's a resource for all of us to talk about organizing, to talk about social justice work, to share what we're doing in community, to create connection, 
and I'm excited to see what happens once this is a little bit more uh, set in stone and I'm a little bit more comfortable with the tool. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for joining us for the second episode of the Radical News Radio Hour today. My name is Serene Saade. I'm your host for this program. We're definitely still getting our feet wet as I figure out how to do this whole radio thing, but I appreciate you listening and you tuning in. If you want any more information on my work, you can visit journalismofcolor.com, my very in-progress website, or you can visit us on Twitter at C Miriam. that's C-M-I-R-I-A-M. You can also visit our sponsor's website at theuptake.org. Just a transparency note, I'm the executive director there. And just another thank you to WFNU for providing us space to have this news program. If you have any story ideas or pitches, you can contact me at journalismofcolor.com or um, you can reach out to me via Twitter and I would be happy to talk with you via email or over the phone. Thanks very much for listening today. We'll see you next week at 1130 our regular time.